What you really want to do is be as strategic about your marketing as you are about all other aspects of your business. There should be annual goals, perhaps quarterly goals. And then again, you work backwards and figure out what are the tactics that we want to implement that will help us achieve those goals. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is graciously sponsored by Covetris Compounding. Covetris Compounding is proud to provide you and your clients an array of innovative dose forms, patient-specific prescriptions, and office use formulations. Welcome, positive leaders, to this amazing episode with a super smart and amazing guest, Robin Brogdon. Thank you so much, Robin, for coming on. Hey, Robin. Welcome to the show. So good to have you on. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Robin, you are the CEO of Blueprints Marketing Group, and you also have a master's in communication and marketing. And that's all I'm going to say about you, because I would like for you to tell me all about yourself, where and how you got to be where you are today, and give me your version of your bio, if you would, please. You bet. Well, thank you, Andrea and David. How fun for a Friday afternoon to chat together. I, let's see, I am an accidental entrepreneur. I did not set out to have a big company with all these employees. And, you know, I, 15 years ago, I was stepping away from a role leading what was then the largest referral practice in Southern California. And I had one client that reached out and said, hey, we really need some help. We are building a new hospital, a new specialty hospital in suburban Manhattan, and we really need you to help us pull it all together. So I said, okay, I had just done that for City of Angels. And you know that sort of kicked things off. But who am I? Well, Veterinary medicine for me is a second career. I feel like I finally got to grow up at age 40 and figure out what I wanted to be. 42, I I am not even exactly sure how old I was when I got in here. But my first career was in sports marketing. And my whole family were athletes. And I went to University of Michigan, go blue. And I still follow Michigan sports religiously, which is always fun when I have some Ohio State or Michigan State doctors in the room when I'm lecturing. I usually show them to the door as soon as I introduce <laughs> myself. Cute. But I, you know, I, I worked in marketing and administration for several different sports teams, both collegiate as well as professional. 
And when I moved to California at the beginning of 1990, I ended up going to work in the surf skate snow business, which my husband loved because he is a surfer, a skater and a snowboarder. So it all made sense for him. It just, you know, didn't end up being my passion. So when my husband's name is Tim, when he and I got our first dog, a lovable mutt named Super, like Super Duper, he at a young age was diagnosed with lymphoma by our family veterinarian. And while this was sort of, you know, the pivot in my life, the veterinarian referred us to a veterinary oncologist. Of course, back then, this was over 20 years ago, I said, a what? Yeah, and, right. And, and I'm the daughter of a human specialist, and Tim and I only have dogs for children. And I thought, wow, I don't know there are veterinary specialists out there. I would yeah. imagine most people don't. But, you know, the long and the short of it is he was one of those sad statistics that died in a very short period of time. I mean, lymphoma caught early is typically quite treatable, and yeah. most dogs get, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 months of, of remission. And he had, all of five weeks, never really went into remission. So he passed away at five weeks. And then five days later, that doctor hired me to be, oh my her, gosh. to be her first ever administrator. And so that blessed pup, you know, super changed the course of my life and opened the door to a whole new world that I didn't know existed. You know, I grew up with pets and we took our dogs to the vet, but I didn't know there were careers in animal health other than being a veterinarian. So when this oncologist hired me, you know, it was sort of, I was thrown to the fire because her business had grown so quickly that she had never really established her business. She was still a sole proprietorship. There were no employee files. Bank accounts had never been reconciled. I mean, it was really a mess while yeah, she carried a bucket like of chemo around from location to location yeah, right. caring for animals. So, you know, I had the opportunity to really move into a field using the skills I developed in the first half of my career into an industry that I had great, great passion for. So I feel so fortunate, especially not being a medical professional myself, that I get to play in the sandbox. You know, I still wake up incredibly grateful for the opportunity to help animals in whatever way I can. And because I'm not touching them directly, I like to think that anything we do to help our client practices and, and animal health clients do what they do better, it ultimately provides better care for pets. So after the oncology practice, I was called upon to help put together a group of practices of which the oncology group was one and put together, you know, one of those kind of condo models in Southern California with a number of different specialty practices independently owned all under one roof. And that became City of Angels. Uh, at the time, I think it was 30 or 35,000 square feet. It was the biggest in California at the time. Yeah. But I don't live in LA. So after commuting three to four hours a day for a couple of years and getting them up and running, it was time for me to step aside and let them run their show. And that's when I started Blueprints beginning of 2007. So we are 15 years old now. And, you know, this has been an incredible journey. Blueprints originally started as a marketing and management consulting firm exclusively for specialty emergency and referral practices, helping them do a better job of defining their brand, 
figuring out who they are, identifying the ideal clientele. In most cases, it's going to be primary care practitioners within a specific geographic region, but thanks to the internet. It's also a segment of pet owners as well, particularly if there's an emergency component. And, you know, over time, as we got better known and had more and more clients and projects under our belt, industry started reaching out more and more, which has been great fun, especially so many specialty practices have been acquired over the last few years. Often an acquisition then means we lose the account because the acquiring corporate entity will often take over the marketing and other operational elements that relate to the marketing. So today we're probably 50-50, 50% practice level, 50% animal health marketing. And I have a wonderful team of talent around me. We are all virtual. We were before our time. We actually had office space for many years. But at the end of 2016, the team really wanted to go virtual. So we did. And, you know, I said, fine, we'll give it six months. Let's see how we do. And we moved everything into storage. And at the end of that six months, the timing was such that the new Orange County shelter was getting ready to open. And I knew Dr. Jen Hawkins, the chief medical officer there at the time. So I called her and I said, I have a storage locker full of furniture. Can we donate it to the shelter? And so we got to pay it forward, move our office furniture into the shelter, and nice. we've been virtual Very ever cool. since. That's us in a nutshell. Fantastic. Thank you. See, I love hearing the uh, your version of your bio instead of the stuffy Aww. one I have to usually read. <laughs> Thank you for the story. You bet. You have had definitely a different journey than most, and I, I feel like a lot of our managers and especially our guests when we have them tell us about their story, it's always something different, right? It's a path they never dreamed of going down and they're very interesting. I think it's so intriguing to hear the different paths, especially you coming from a non-veterinary space, right? You worked right. In outside of veterinary medicine. So you bring a lot of different ideas and thoughts to, to your company and, and to our profession. Well, I will say... One thing that made it easier is I'm the daughter of a human specialist, and my mother worked in my father's office. So, in fact, you'll laugh at this. My dad is retired now, of course, but he was a urologist. So you can only imagine how unappetizing dinner table conversation <laughs> yeah, was right. as a kid, right? But I grew up with medical jargon and lexicon, and so... While I don't even pretend to have the knowledge of a medical professional, human or veterinary, the language and the disease processes were very familiar to me. So that helped quite a bit yeah. walking into it. Just being exposed to that from such a young, young yeah. age. Yeah. Can you share with me from all of your vast experience, especially that outside of veterinary medicine, can you share with me some type of book or class or podcast, whatever it is, something that had a lasting effect on you mm. and your management style? Hmm. That is a really tough one. Well, I'll tell you the one I probably related best to the TED Talk by Simon Sinek, Start With Your Why. Yes. Because great. what we do at Blueprints is, you know, we're what most people would think of as a traditional ad agency, meaning we start at the beginning. Who are you? What's your business all about? How do you wish to be perceived? Because we know that 
you can't be all things to all people. And goodness knows, not every pet owner is an ideal client. So you've got to really define who you are and what is your why and what motivates you. And what we find is most of our clients, when they come to us, they're very good at telling people what they do, but essentially they all do the same thing or very similar. What they're not good at and what they hire us for is helping them tell their story of the how and the why. And every great brand is a story. So Mm -hmm. we start our clients with what is your why and making sure and really defining that with them and then making sure their team members understand Mm -hmm. it, embrace it, because they're the ones that have to live it and deliver it. So I think what Simon Sinek did in more layperson's terms was help people understand that people buy from you because they relate to your why, not so yeah, much right. what you offer. Because yep, there's right. you know a veterinary clinic on every corner. Yeah. So it's why you do what you do and how you do what you do that sets you apart. Love some Simon Sinek for sure. Yeah. And I remember I worked with the Blueprints group about probably 12 years ago or so. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. you guys branded my side consulting business, which yes. is, is now kind of wrapped up. But I remember your process and it was very much, and that was difficult as a like sole consultant to be like, who am I, you know, and yes. what color does yeah. that represent? Right. But yes. that makes total sense. So question for you as a previous, I mean, you have a long and very respected career in practice operations and management and administration. You've been, you know, manager and a high level administrator. And then, as you said, you know, you kind of pivoted into marketing. So what about marketing made you say, you know what, I mean, I love the story you told about your background, kind of go off on my own and be entrepreneurial and build this marketing group. You know, you could have built a management consulting agency, right? right? So why marketing for you? So, you know, my Master's degree is in communication with a minor in marketing, and I've had sales and marketing responsibilities throughout my career, whether it was sports marketing, recruitment, which I did for a little while, and then working for the oncology group and mostly City of Angels. My job really was to brand City of Angels, get it on the map, develop quickly as many referral relationships as we could in the city of LA proper and Culver City and surrounding communities. And I knew that specialists who we were really focused on at the time were not very good at marketing. I mean, most veterinarians aren't, bless them. That's not what their skill set is. (laughs) And, you know, so it was sort of natural for me in my background. And then when I, you know, sought to get City of Angels on the map. It really was all about relationship development. And and what I learned, David, was most specialists just assumed that with additional letters after their name, the cases so-called should be referred to them. And I said to them, well, maybe in a perfect world, but to be honest with you, people don't refer cases because of should. They refer cases because of a relationship. And marketing is all about developing a relationship built on trust, authenticity, transparency, and you know mutual benefit. So I really believed that specialists at the time needed a lot of assistance and guidance to figure out who they were, you know, and how they could best serve primary care practitioners and their clients within a particular geographic region. I'm also a firm believer that pretty much everything we do is marketing. I mean, how we show up is marketing, how we speak, how we dress, 
So I really believe that the operations of a practice is intimately tied to marketing because how a client perceives their experience is marketing. So if we don't define that experience and own our own message, people make it up. That's human nature. So, you know, unless you want somebody else to define who you are and pass along messages that may not be in alignment with who you are trying to be, you've got to do it yourself and and communicate it effectively. So marketing for me was just, it came very naturally. It was part of my educational background. And I just thought it was the going to be the easiest route for me to make an impact in animal health. I have to say my sister has a master's also in communication and marketing. And so from day one, she has always you know, pounded in my brain since I opened my company, branding and marketing, branding and marketing, communication, branding, marketing. And I hear the passion in your voice about how everything that we do, like with the way we show up, that's marketing, have somebody else write your story, or you can write it for them, like all these different things. And so I hear my sister's voice in the back of my head, right? These are all things branding, right? Right. And I think of marketing as like a digital piece or a print piece of marketing, you're running a promotion, you have a special, you have your sign, some kind of tangible thing where this branding comes into place, and is now kind of a buzzword. So can you tell me a little bit about the differences between how we show up to work as part of our marketing? What's branding? What's marketing? And like the differences between the two and how do they, if at all, relate to each other? You bet. It's a great question. And I often share the definition of branding, marketing, advertising, promotion, public relations, because they all work together, but they are all different. Yeah. So branding, if you will is kind of that 30,000 foot view. It is intentionally defining and creating an experience you want a current or prospective client to have. Marketing is the promotion of that experience through whatever vehicle that may be. It may be a digital tactic. It may be a trade show appearance. It may be a printed piece. It may be a lecture somewhere. But marketing is essentially the promotion of your branded experience. So, you know, Walmart, for instance, has determined their brand is all about being the low cost leader, where marketing of that is done through television commercials, different spokespeople, different types of ads and language they use. They are marketing the experience that someone will have when they interact with or engage with Walmart in some way, shape or form. So that's why we always start with the branding is first, you got to figure out you know, what is that experience we want to deliver? Then we develop a strategic Mm -hmm. marketing plan and identify all the different Mm -hmm. marketing tactics that we want to employ to promote that brand experience Mm -hmm. and get people to be inspired to Mm -hmm. buy whatever product or service it is we are offering. Hmm, that makes sense. Wow, that's that's amazing. Knowledge bomb. (laughs) So when I saw a, uh, not a study necessarily, but like a graph, and this was a few years ago, but I'm sure it's crazier now. And it showed that in the digital world, you know, the last say 20 years, maybe even 10 years, and the kind of digital economy and all these things, that the rate of change is exponentially accelerating, meaning you know, and this is more for the listeners that like, so from let's say the period of, I don't know, 1900 to 1950, let's say things changed 
two times, whatever that means, right? You had a, a technology move and, you know, things like that. And then from 1950 to say the year 2000, it changed 4X. Like it's actually exponentially getting faster, which means that the time spent between each, let's call it iteration, right? Like new thing is yeah. shortening, which, which is mind boggling, right? Like if you think about anything that we held to like, oh, the iPhone was a great example. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm quoting this off the top of my head, but you know, we had maybe one every few years. Now they have one every year and they have the new model, that kind of sub model that goes every year. So the digital world is moving at lightning speed and, and technology does this because it can work, I think, at a basically an exponential or quadratic pace versus a human being that has a bit of a finite ability to their to their production and all with AI kind of it learns on itself and it's crazy, you know, optimization and stuff. So what was really kind of hip and popular and like uh -huh. the thing last week is literally old news this week, right? So and I think that like TikTok showed us that like we had Facebook, we had Instagram, we had Twitter, YouTube got a little bit. We, we got had MySpace. Fancy... Oh, yeah, my. that was the beginning. Right? And then you had these softwares, you know, like the different ones like Sprout where you can, you know, you can send one post and it was everywhere. But then TikTok came in like, what do we do with TikTok? So <laughs> what is hip in today's digital marketing world? Like what's the buzzwords? What's some of the stuff that practice managers should really stay current on? And how can they stay current? What are some great resources for them in this really ever-changing right. digital world with also, as you've been a manager, you know that they have little or no time extra oh, from what they do to develop so you know, these things. <laughs> David, I think I saw that same study. It might've even been at the Veterinary Innovation Summit this year where one of the keynotes spoke about, you know, just in the last five years, things amped or, you know, evolved like a million times. I mean, it's just accelerated that rapidly. The first thing I'll say, and those people that hear me speak regularly know this is one of my pet peeves, but the fax machine is no longer hip. Veterinary medicine, please hear me loud and clear. And you <laughs> right, still, thank say you. that again for those people. <laughs> really loud, in the back. <laughs> the fax machine is no oh. longer hip. If you are still using one, yeah. please get rid of it. Stop. Millennials, email yeah, right. Be e a thing because there should right. be no faxes. <laughs> Millennials that work in practice today have never seen or used one, and I don't want them to learn how. Right. Amen. <laughs> Preach it. Marie. So, yeah, that's, that's my soapbox, one of them. But what is hip? You know, look, I think things that are hip, and I'll mention a few of those. Unfortunately, veterinary medicine is just not moving fast enough to accommodate yeah. what their clients want. Right. You know, I spoke at one of the state conferences a couple of years ago. It was probably just the year before COVID. So it really wasn't that long ago. And it was one of those programs where you do six full hours, you know, the bless those poor people that sat in a room with me all day. I really appreciate that they hung out that long, but it was about a hundred people in my track. And when I got into some of the digital marketing tactics, I asked for a show of hands of how many practices had an app. And of those hundred people, two raised their hand. Yeah. And, and it I was, wasn't that long ago. No. And I was horrified. Because, look, I'm a baby boomer. So, you know, you can't just say, well, old people don't want to use modern technology. If I have to pick up the phone and call you, I will likely go to a different resource. Yeah. You know? what's, how's the saying go? There's an app for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, so exactly. What, what, I, yeah. what I think of today, not even so much about HIP, it's really about access. Pet owners want access. Pet owners want convenience. 
and pet owners want information and knowledge. Now, yes, there are studies that have talked about how millennials and Gen X and Gen Z want to be educated by their veterinarian more than baby boomer and older generations, but they pretty much everybody and their mother wants to be able to manage their life on their phone. And so if a practice does not have convenient ways to communicate with current and prospective clients in a manner in which they are most comfortable, the pipeline will dry up. I know right now everybody's like, I have more clients than I need. You know, I don't really care. Well, I get that, but your clients today want to communicate with you by text and email and the app as well. So it's not necessarily about the future. It's about right now. So access, knowledge, and convenience. I mean, look, that's why we've got Chewy. That's why we've got BarkBox. That's why we've got these subscription services. It's because they are convenient. They're accessible. And I would hate to see our veterinary clinics get left behind because they're not moving fast enough to adopt the technology that pet owners desperately want. I mean, we all know that most searches today or the majority searches take place on mobile over a desktop. And yet there's still tons of practices out there with websites that aren't even mobile responsive. So I would say while certain new things are hip, I'd really like to see, you know, vet clinics join the 21st century with some of the technology that has been out for a while that is available that really only forward-thinking practices have adopted. And I want more to grab onto that technology because I suppose if you ask anybody to look at their phone and see how many apps they have and how often they use them, I mean, look, your favorite fast casual restaurant is probably on here with a loyalty program. I know for me traveling, I've got, you know, Hilton Hotels, I've got Budget Rent-A-Car, I've got American Airlines, I've got, you know, yes, I have a few games to keep some mindless energy going at the airport. I've got, you know, I've got LinkedIn, I've got Facebook, I've got Instagram, I've got everything on my phone. I would really like to have my veterinary office on my phone too and have them be a click away and they're not. Yeah. And what you say, you know, is you don't want to leave veterinary practices behind. And I can just see in, you know, two, five, 10 years, like David talked about being exponential is going and looking back and say, okay, you know, you got left in the dust because these practices had this. So there's two out of a hundred, right? Or there's corporate or there's Chewy or there's, you know, Walmarts or whatever that's opening up, there's practices that they're not even practices now, but there's websites you can go to, to talk to a veterinarian and get care from and, and prescriptions you can get from them online. And all these things are happening. And of course, you know, our veterinary medical board is like, whoa, 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 slow your roll. But this is what's out there. This is what's happening. And Robin, you're right. If we don't get current, we're going to be left yeah, behind. It scares Somehow, me. Way, we'll see what that looks like. In fact, I have a good friend from back home in Maryland that called me in a panic just last week. She has a seven-month-old puppy and it's a big breed. So the puppy is already like 40 or 45 pounds. And she said, oh my gosh, River just got like 10 chocolate chips. What do I do? Do I need to worry? Do I need to go to my vet? And so I kind of talked her through it, but I said, for peace of mind, please call your veterinarian. And she ended up remembering that because she has a Chewy subscription for their food and some osteoarthritis supplements and things like that, 
Chewy has a service that it was free to her where she could call and talk to a veterinarian and ask those questions to make sure her dog was going to be yeah. okay without emergency intervention. And boy, I mean, Chewy satisfied her need instead of a veterinarian. Right. Isn't that well, insane? It was a veterinarian, right. but not mm -hmm. in a veterinary clinic. It was, you know, a large publicly traded entity. Right. The telemedicine side of exactly. Chewy, right, that they started offering. Yeah. Right. But that's the interesting thing about that. And, and you're totally right. We have to kind of think that if we stay in this realm of our client's will need us and will only need us and we are the only ones that can provide the service that's actually 10 or 12 years ago you know right. as you just said there's Old there's school. you know there's telemedicine there's telemedicine apps that not only can the clinic you know brand with them and like have it part of their service and they just work you know b2b but then there's also apps like chewy or other ones that are just third party you go on there's a i saw a couple of them now that client just goes on and they they sign up for a subscription and it's telemedicine and exactly. it's nothing to do with their local vet there's right. no cpr so yeah, yeah we have some to of the, kind of stop thinking about that way some of the pet health insurance companies if you're a subscriber to their insurance if you're yeah. a client of their insurance offer 24/7 access to yep. a veterinarian or veterinary nurse as well yeah, it's crazy. So I just, I want practices to get smarter about it. And I realize they don't have time, but they don't not have time. Yeah, that's the truth. I want to go back and ask you about something that you had said earlier. And you had talked about differentiating from the practice next door, right? The practice nearby. Yes. And I'll tell you in my city, I think there's something like 22 veterinary hospitals and how does one practice differentiate from another practice when they're literally across the street from each other or down the road a little bit? Sure. And you talk about, you know, writing your story. Do you want to write your story? Do you want somebody else to do it? Do you want to market your services? Do you want to promote your brand? Or, you know, do you want somebody else to do that? So can you talk to me about how managers can differentiate their practice from the one next door or down the sure. street or down the road? And how can we stand out not only to clients, but because we're in such a crisis for employees, I also want to stand out to employees as well, right? So if we can brand and market ourselves to not just clients, but employees to be like, they're out there, right? They're amazing. They do all these great things. So talk to me a little bit about differentiation. It's a great question. And I'm so glad that David went through that process with us because while it was quite some time ago, I'm sure David will remember, you know, some of the questions that we ask. What we do is we put together a customized questionnaire for our clients to help them work with us to define their brand and their key differentiators. And here's the thing. Again, kind of like the Simon Sinek a portion of our conversation, most practices offer the same or similar services, right? So that's the what. It's the how and the why where they need to differentiate themselves. So if, if a practice really wants to lead with service, they have to have some things that they physically do that are better, different, unique than somebody else. You can't just say our customer service is the best. It has to be tangible and factual. So, right, you've got to then work backwards. If that's what you want to lead with, like a Nordstrom or like a Tiffany's that lead with the service, you then have to work backwards and figure out what operational processes and procedures can I put into place to demonstrate to every client at every interaction, our service is superior. 
So it's really a matter of defining first what you want to be and how you wish to be perceived. And then you work backwards and you either work with your agency or internally, if a manager has some skills in this area, work to figure out, okay, how can we bring this position to life? How can we now work to become known as the Nordstrom, the Tiffany's? And you know, to the higher volume, lower cost practices, this is no slap to you. There is a huge market for you. This is why we are seeing pop up and vaccine clinics and pop up at tractor supply. And I mean, they, they are getting services to people that may not have had service at all before. They have defined their brand and how they do it incredibly well, which is why they are now reaching so many pet owners who may not have chosen or may not have been aware even of the type of care that their pet needed. Sometimes they're new first time pet owners or absolutely. So differentiation is really a decision based on, you know, what you know, your strengths and weaknesses are, Mm. which is why when we do a positioning exercise, we look at the client's strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. We do our SWOT analysis, but we also look at the competition because the idea is to find a spot in the market mm-hmm. that they can own better or different than others. You know, you don't right. want to try and be exactly like the three other practices down the road because then there's really no compelling reason to choose you over them. Then people just start price shopping and right. You know, unless you're going to run on the low cost leader, that's not going to do much for you in terms of differentiation. So it starts with that branding, the how and the why. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you may want to be the high end diagnostics. You may be the one that leads with a fit and healthy weight pet is the healthiest pet. You may want to lead with comprehensive oral health and dental care is the, you know, the door to your pet's health. I mean, there are a million Mm -hmm. ways to slice it. Because honestly, in 15 years, we've never come up with the same position for any two clients. They're all different because even though they may offer some similar things, the people are different and the personality and the practice is different. different. Absolutely. Yes, you bet. So I like your question, though, Andrea, about differentiating yourself for clients, but also differentiating yourself for recruitment, which ties in great (laughs) to what I like to do in my role at Blueprints. You know, having spent several years as a recruiter before vet med, I love this area of it. And again, it's very much the same where, you know, we'll often help clients write a classified ad or develop a campaign, whether it's a digital campaign for recruitment or some other vehicle. I really don't want to hear what equipment you have and blah, blah, blah. Like if you're an internal medicine practice, you darn well better have an endoscope. Right, I mean, it's right. kind of like, it's wasted space. I want to know why I might want to work for you. So tell me something that is going to potentially appeal to me. And again, remember, you've got 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s that, that they're looking to attract And not everybody is going to be the right candidate, but based on your culture, based on your strengths, based on your position, give me some information 
in your ad that would compel me to want to learn more because recruiting is just like any other marketing initiative. There are multiple steps. It's like a sales funnel. First, you got to get them to become aware of your practice. Then you have to intrigue them with something to capture their interest. Mm -hmm. Then maybe through a retargeted campaign, maybe they've interacted with your site and then they go on some other site and ooh, up comes an ad from your practice. That's a retarget retargeting somebody that has already mm -hmm. interacted with them. You know, that may just happen on a day where they've had a really crappy day at work. And they're like, you know, this kind of looks interesting. I should go on their website and have a look. Or maybe, oh, I think I know somebody who used to work there. Maybe I'll contact them. Maybe I'll respond to the ad. Maybe I'll, you know, it's, it is chipping away little by little. But the ads and the culture and the persona of the practice have to be compelling and differentiated enough and communicated as such so that it really can be attractive to a potential employee. We always say to our clients, mm -hmm. marketing is not about you. Marketing mm -hmm. is about your audience. And if you're not satisfying your audience and being relatable to your audience, they don't care what your bells and whistles are. You know, we have mm -hmm. a surgical practice, bless them. You know, surgeons are unique sorts and I love yeah, them and, right. and they can be challenging, but these doctors want to lead everything with the tools and technologies that, that get them out of bed. Well, I keep trying to tell them that the pet owner and the primary care veterinarian have a whole different set of criteria that they need to know from you. They don't mm -hmm. know from this particular surgical plate over this other plate that that doesn't mean anything to them. It's, can you fix my patient? Can you work as a team? Can you take good care of my client? Can you provide timely, respectful service? And sure, they want good clinical outcomes, but just like a pet owner doesn't know how to judge the medicine, a primary care doctor often doesn't know how to judge some of the technical expertise of a specialist. That's why they refer there. Right, exactly. So, yeah, you know, differentiation is all about every aspect of your business from your team to your referring community to your, you know, to your employees and clients. So great question. So I read an article recently that and I don't remember the, what it was and I could probably pull it, but it stated that veterinary practices spend very little resources, right? And the resources are time, money, effort on branding and marketing. <laughs> and this doesn't surprise me because I think that having more of the kind of straight operational background and learning about marketing theory and things like that, I've really come a different direction. So marketing shows up on the P&L, right, as an expense. But I think that we actually should think of marketing almost like a capital expense. Like it's an investment. Yeah, um, because, investment, right. Yeah, because you can calculate marketing return on investment, right? And so when I was a regional director and I was working with my practices, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, various stuff, website plugins and you know, click tracking and PPC and different things. And so for example, PPC is a big one, right? When they say, oh, your budget is, you know, hundreds of dollars a month. And I said, even in the general practice, I said, okay, you know, let's look at some numbers, but let's do some theory here. So if each click costs you $5, maybe for example, right? You click on it. Sometimes you're going to miss the mark, right? But let's say it turns into a phone call and then your client books it. That $5 just turned into the $75 exam minimum, Right. And so the MROI, which is so interesting, usually we think of ROI as like in the 
anything less than 100% or maybe like you double your money or you get, you know, 20% ROI or whatever. Whereas MROI can be 300, 500, 1000% because the way that it's linked is the absolute spend on that client acquisition. You know, you're never spending $75 to get them. You're spending a few dollars and then they spend, you know, a lot more. So, well, and then there's the lifetime we... value of that client. Yeah, yes, that too. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right. So, why should we? And how can we track ROI? Because it does seem to me that tracking MROI is a little bit tricky. And then, you know, most practices are turning clients away daily. So why should we spend money on marketing? All good questions. I'll start with the marketing in general. And, you know, if you talk with any of the valuation specialists in vet med today, they will tell you that up to 75% of a practice's value can be based on goodwill. Goodwill is your reputation, how you appear online, what your reputation is, your, you know, your reviews, all of that. So there are tangible assets involved in goodwill. Oh, that's um, an in, what an amazing way to put right, it for what a concept. People. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know, look, if nobody in town knows you or you've got a bunch of bad reviews, even though you you may have a fairly solid book of business, you know, reputation counts towards future brand equity. So, you know, I think it's always important to start kind of there and understand that your business has a lot of value or potential for a lot of value based on its goodwill. And those are some of the things that make up goodwill. Now, David, I love what you said, because we also look at marketing as an investment as opposed to an expense. Now, some things like branding are not as trackable in the ROI perspective. I mean, unless you're, you know, Mars Corporation, and you can spend millions of dollars running research to see whether more people yeah, were aware right. of you today versus yesterday. Yeah. That's not practical for our yeah. practices. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. But, you know, we are fortunate that a lot of our digital tools today do allow us to track many more things. The key to that is working with someone that can help you define what your goals are before you launch your campaign so you know specifically what metrics to be tracking, right? So if you're tracking clicks, that may not be so meaningful. It's more about where you want them to land in the sales funnel. And by that, I really mean is, again, every sales cycle, and I know that those are words that veterinarians don't use very often, but client acquisition happens over a period of time in most cases, unless it's simply a direct referral from a current client. But you've got to capture attention. They may see something on Facebook, you know, and you want to be able to watch where they go on your website, which vehicle drove them to your website, which page did they visit, where did they bounce from, meaning what page did they bounce off of before converting. And converting can mean click for directions, click to call. Maybe they're looking up some information on the doctor. You want to be able to really establish before you launch a particular marketing tactic, which one of the KPIs or which one of those data points we want to be tracking because you could track a gazillion things. Some of them are going to be irrelevant. Let's look at the things that are going to be important for us to measure based on our goals. So for instance, 
you know, a, a primary care practice may want to increase compliance with dental care. And I'm not even talking around February dental month. I just mean in general, they may set themselves a goal. This quarter, we want to perform X number of comprehensive oral health exams and treatments. Well, they can decide internally how they want to go about doing that. They can also launch some digital ads around it. And they can track those either through a separate landing page or a Facebook pixel, which is just a piece of code that gets placed on your website to track where traffic is coming from and really gauge how many then appointments got made that were derived from those activities so that they can see how did our marketing efforts work. The thing about marketing too, especially the online and the digital properties, is they are both an art and a science. And based on your keywords, based on your audience, based on your competition, they need to be monitored, tweaked, managed on an ongoing basis. They are forever needing to be tweaked or changed, again, based on all those things that we can't control. We can't control how much our competition is spending on PPC. We can't control Google's changes in their algorithms, but we can control, again, how we show up. So it's, it's, they really should be ongoing programs. You can change up your campaign or your message each month if you like, but Google really likes at least a month to kind of figure out what you're doing and start delivering that traffic to you for that particular message and adjust over time based on the results. It's how a veterinarian treats a patient when they come for the recheck. They make adjustments based on new lab work, based on that latest exam. They're going to make adjustments, perhaps. It's the same thing with marketing. So did I answer all parts of that question? Well, I was frantically taking notes, so um, I think you covered it all. But I do want to hit a couple things that I know we tend to use some jargon that maybe not everybody has heard of before or understands. So three things I wrote down I wanted to just do a quick shout out on. PPC stands for pay per click. Correct. Other people will also hear it referred to as Google ads. Yes. And then ROI is return, return on, on investment. Yes. Yeah, thank you. And MROI. David, I'm not familiar with that term. Me neither. Oh, sorry. Just marketing ROI. Sorry. Uh, I just, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, if you like sales ROI or whatever, you just throw, sorry, Got marketing it. ROI. Well, okay. let's yeah. face it, veterinary medicine's full of acronyms, so we might as yes. well create another one. <laughs> All right. We'll just yep, make up totally. our own. It's fine. Robin, you had talked about some of the things that we need to, or at least one thing that we need to actually get rid of in our practice, which is a fax machine. So tell me if there's two or three even like common mistakes that you see on a regular basis that practice managers are making with either their branding and or marketing or ads or whatever the case may be. Can you tell us two or three things that we need to like, besides throwing the fax machine in the trash can, <laughs> sure. don't do this again, stop doing this, this hurts your business, this isn't any good for you, it's wasting money, energy, effort, whatever the case may be. Can you give us two or three no-nos? You bet. The first one would be they haven't established a brand. You know, they're just marketing what they do. So the first one would be figuring out your why and your how and making sure everybody on your team understands it and that any tactic you deploy leads with that. The second would be they often try and do it themselves when they're not experts in that particular field. You know, we want pet owners to come to the veterinarian and not Dr. Google because veterinarians are the experts in animal health. 
So if you're not an expert copywriter or web developer or photographer or print and production manager or whatever, you know, it's probably a good idea to seek guidance from someone who is. So that would be sort of a, an obvious one. Another one is marketing is often done in a very shotgun approach. There's kind of a one-off here and a one-off there. And we're going to appear at this community affair, or this pet expo, and maybe next month we're going to you know, send out a flyer and then next month something else. What you really want to do is be as strategic about your marketing as you are about all other aspects of your business. There should be annual goals, perhaps quarterly goals. And then again, you work backwards and figure out what are the tactics that we want to implement that will help us achieve those goals, defining those key metrics before we launch so that we can measure them and making sure that all of your marketing messages, be they print, digital, you know, trade show, whatever it might be, making sure they all look like they belong to the same brand family. They have a cohesive look, feel, tone of voice and look and feel. And and then probably the last one, Andrea, that we see so often is because our clients, be they animal health industry or practice, generally have many offerings. And what we see is in an ad message, them trying to dump the kitchen sink in because they don't want to miss that we also do rehab and, oh, we've got this and we've got that. But what we know is if you load an ad message with too many things, it just flies right by. You become part of the media clutter. The most impactful messages are when you make one message in a clever and impactful way. And I know they're like, but we also... We're like, we can address that one next. So don't load your ad with too many messages or none of them will get through. Love it. So as we start to wrap up kind of the interview portion, the inquisition portion of the podcast. So at the Positive Leadership Podcast, we really like to give our listeners one or two actionable items. So we record these typically on Fridays. We release them on Wednesdays. You know, it's during the week. And so we want our listeners to basically take away, you know, one or two actionable items that they could literally put in place tomorrow at their practice because it's like the 1% rule, right? You start with 1% and then 1% turns into another 1% and then 2% and et cetera. So Robin, what are like one or two just nuggets, like little things that somebody could do in a couple of hours then, you know, right after listening to this podcast, that would just be the first step in creating better branding and marketing? Well, I think it's important for practices to look internally and see truly what are their biggest pain points. I think for most practices today, or certainly from my experience, it is call volume. And, you know, what does that have to do with marketing? Well, again, if you can't get to the client in time, they're on hold for too long, they're not getting the answers. I would really look at what is the pain point, the biggest pain point, and look at what are the different ways we can improve upon this pain point and take the time to actually do it but one at a time. It may be an app. It may be implementing text communication. It may be, you know, putting somebody at home remotely, just handling phones. It may be any number of things, but I think it's important to really identify what are the top one, two, or three biggest pain points and focus on addressing those because again, you can't do it all at once. So that would be the first. And the second is... I would really have them on Monday go look and see what in our practice 
is so far behind that is not allowing our clients to communicate with us in a convenient and accessible manner? Are we making doing business with us difficult or are we making doing business with us simple? And again, address those things that clients today want and need before going and trying to do a major overhaul. Now, they may uncover at that point that, yeah, they do need a new website or they do need to really establish what is their brand and what differentiates them. And I think they should calendar those things, you know, look to an agency or someone that can guide them through that process and be the expert there. But look at your practice's pain points and address one thing at a time. Fantastic. I love it. I got my little boxes. I'm going to check on Monday. Yay. I would like to ask you one piece of advice that you would give your younger self, should your younger self ever want to listen to you, because I know my younger self would not listen at all, (laughs) a piece of advice that you could give our listeners, knowing that we have a bunch of managers out there that you know, want to hear from either an expert or just saying, hey, I'm well seasoned. I've been in the profession for quite a while now. Give our listeners a piece of advice that you would love to have heard when you first got either into the profession or even younger. Yeah, that's a great question too. And you know, what kind of comes to mind for me is something that is really a culmination of both my recruitment and marketing expertise and experience. And that is, you know, I know there are a lot of people that are unhappy in their practices, and yet they're terrified to make a move. What if it doesn't work out? Or what if I left, you know, it's kind of like, is the devil what you know, or the devil what you don't know? Yeah, And they're just too afraid to make a move. And what I wish I would have been able to tell my younger self and what I often impart to vet students today when I talk is it doesn't have to be the best move. And I don't want them to look at it as, oh my God, if it's not the right move, I'm going to fail. If you are not happy where you are and you've taken the appropriate steps to improve upon it and that hasn't happened for you and you've owned your part in it, if you have come to the conclusion that this is no longer a healthy or a good environment for you to continue to thrive and grow in, then yes, Take the leap of faith, explore new opportunities, but don't be so afraid if that new opportunity doesn't turn out to be the be all and end all, because what I say is that move was simply the next right move to get you to the next right move. You know, we we can't hang all the pressure on, well, this next job better be it because it may be and it may not be. But if it moves you away from a situation that isn't helpful or healthy and you've taken the time to try and do a better job of vetting that new potential employer, you're going to learn along the way. And if it turns out six months, a year in that it's not the best and you want to continue looking, you will have learned through that process. And that simply was the next right step to get you to the next one. Yes. That strikes home. And I cannot thank you enough for saying that, Robin. You know, our ability sometimes, and especially in veterinary medicine, because we give until our glass is empty and we forget about ourselves, when in fact, it's really not personal, right? It's more that it just isn't working for me. It's not aligned with what I want or my goals or my internal values. And to say, I think like, you know, four to six months is kind of a good like feel if you're able to get through it. And obviously, if it's not like a horrible situation, you know, you feel it out. And then 
what is the minimum that everybody kind of talks about as that badge of honor? You know, one year. Well, the world moves faster. So sometimes in six months, you have watched, you know, listened to a podcast or watched a video or internally worked on something and go, dang, I didn't realize I had this value, but this place doesn't and I got to readjust. So I thank you for saying that to our listeners, because I think especially managers and you and Andrea can probably like preach, right, is don't we just take on everything for the practice and push Mm -hmm. and push and push through at the behest of ourselves, right? When sometimes you're supported as a manager, you know, ownership is behind you. Obviously, it's a hard job. But you know, if the clinic, if if you want other things out of here, if you want to be a regional, if you want to be a director of marketing, if you want to do all these things, and your current job doesn't offer that, heck no, you shouldn't feel guilty about looking for another opportunity and moving on with your life. And so I cannot thank you enough for saying that. I think our listeners really needed to hear that. I'm so glad. You know, I just, I hate seeing people in places that just don't serve them because they're there to serve, right? And it should be a reciprocal feel. I have always said that I've reinvented myself so many times in my life, you know, in my career in particular. And because I can't sit in you know what very long. You know, a lot of people like to wallow. And while you don't always know what the next right move is, you know when it's bad enough and you've worked hard enough to try and remedy it and you can't where you are, you know when it's time to go, even if you don't necessarily know the next right place. So yeah, there's going to be some pain. I mean, pain is our motivating factor for the most part. I mean, we have to be in enough pain to want to explore and make a move. And it's sad to say that. I mean, most people don't make a move simply for the the next growth opportunity, although some do. That's how recruiters often find people as they present an opportunity. They're like, wow, yeah. I never I never thought about that. Or that, that, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Exactly. But for a lot of people, pain is the motivator. And I just don't want people to sit in that space for too long. People that work in our profession are such good hearted souls and they care deeply and they take that on, like you said. And so we can't afford emotionally to sit in that for too long before it affects us permanently. And I always say like, it's like that itchy wool sweater, you know, how are you wearing yes. that itchy wool sweater every day? Because <laughs> yep. it starts way. off not yep. so bad, but then after a month or six months or a year in, like that itchy wool sweater has now like caused lesions on your skin. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know, so funny. Yep. Yeah. Robin, you have worked in the veterinary profession for a very long time. And I am sure you probably even have some amazing experiences even prior to that, that would be relevant here. But we've all had those encounters where either it's been a client or a practice owner, employee, whoever it may be that in the moment, like your chin hits the ground in just absolute shock, your eyes pop out of your head like a pug and you just go like, no way this shit just happened. A story you could never make up ever in a million years. Like seriously, you can't make this shit up. Tell me and share your story with us today. Okay. So this is actually a really fun one. So the year before COVID, uh, I guess 2019, UC Davis through Dr. Jim Clark started a new business certificate program, like a mini MBA. And I was very honored to be invited to be one of the instructors for the course. It was made up mostly of veterinary professionals, but I think they left 25% of the seats for veterinary students as well. And so I 
went up to Davis the night before. I was speaking on a Saturday and Dr. Jim Clark lives there. He was one of my first clients back in the day. I just adore him. He used to be a partner in multiple emergency and specialty practices in the Bay Area. Now he teaches full-time at Davis. So I hadn't seen him in a while. He and I had gotten to be friends. And he said, look, I don't want you to stay in a hotel. I want you to stay with me and my fiance, Jennifer. We're going to cook dinner at home. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll get caught up. So I flew up on a Friday afternoon and, you know, we're visiting together and I'm asking him what he's got going on for the summer. And he said, oh, tomorrow we're leaving for Africa. I said, oh my God, that's amazing. Tim and I are leaving next Saturday for Africa. Well, Africa's a rather large continent, right? So we, and, and he had been there before, we had not. And so I said, wow, what's your itinerary? So he said, you know, I'm starting in Namibia, I'm going to visit my daughter who's doing an internship with some cheetah rescue organization. He said, and then we're going here, 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 here. I said, oh, it sounds amazing. I said, honestly, I think we may be in the same place at the same time for overlap for all of 12 hours. I said, because we land in Zambia and go to Victoria Falls right around the time you guys are going to be there. I said, I'm going to look for you at Victoria Falls, but I know I won't see you. So we come and go Victoria Falls. We don't see him. And I told him, I said, you know, I think we're going to Zambia and Botswana. I mean, I signed up for the trip. It was well recommended. I didn't really pay that much attention to the itinerary. I just knew we were going to have a great time. Yeah. So we go to Zambia. Then we actually go to Zimbabwe, which I didn't even know we were going to, but we're at one of the camps in Zimbabwe, you know, for safari for a couple of nights. And we are on our game drives. We would do one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And in the middle of the game drive, because the game drive is about three hours. So in the middle of the game drive, the, you know, we're in these open air trucks and the guide would pull over, set up a table in the morning. It would be coffee and crumpets and little snacks in the afternoon. It was happy hour and some appetizers. So one morning we pull over, we were in 45,000 acre park. Okay. We were in this huge park and we pull over and we've got our little spread going and we see another truck coming towards us. And the guides are always really good about stopping to talk to each other, to share where they saw the last lion, where, you know, where they can see ostrich. So, you know, make sure the guests get as can see as many wild animals as possible. So I see this truck coming towards us and I look and I look and I said, Oh my God, that is Jim Clark. Oh my God. No. Oh my God. So I'm like halfway around the world in a (laughs) 45,000 acre nature park in a country I didn't even know I was going to on the same trail at the same time there pulls up Jim. So we all get out of our trucks. We're hugging. We took pictures. I mean, my team always laughs. They say, Robin, you know, everybody. I'm like, I really (laughs) know. But but here in Zimbabwe, in the middle of nowhere, I actually run into a dear crazy. friend. Right. So, That's crazy. Um, That's pretty cool. So, you know, we do our visiting and they get back in their truck and we get back in ours. And we had two guys at the time. They looked at me and they said, Robin, we've been doing this for decades. Never, Never. have we seen that happen. <laughs> 
so it's still one of my most favorite stories because it's not like I ran into somebody I wanted to avoid. I ran into somebody I love and it was just, it was just, you know, you, you can't make this shit up. Exactly. We could have never planned it if we tried. (laughs) So there goes that. I just love that story. Awesome. So as we wrap up the show, Robin, we're going into the rapid fire section. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Tell me about your proudest moment. There used to be a foundation under the ACVIM, the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine umbrella. And I raised a lot of money for the organization. And I was the first non-veterinarian chosen to sit on their board of directors. I was honored to do so. I actually served two terms, which is a full six years. And at the end of my second term, at the annual conference at the business luncheon, I became the first non-veterinarian awarded the Distinguished Service Award by the ACBIM. So I just knocked me off my feet. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? Oh boy, I love pets. I love pets. And I really like the opportunity and I'm grateful for the opportunity to help those that help our companion animals run their businesses better because that ultimately reaches more animals. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Ooh, lots of time with my dogs, but I live by the beach so in Huntington Beach, so that helps. I have kind of a little route that I take, whether it's a walk or a jog. I do that a couple times a week. And then uh, 11 years ago, my husband and I bought a small property in a semi-rural area in southwestern Utah in the desert. Kind of looks like Sedona, but less crowded, you know, less commercial. And it's not far from Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon. So we get up there as often as we can. And I love to hike. That The scenery to me, there's just something I land there and I feel happy. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? <laughs> of course. <laughs> as the owner of a company that has employees, yes, I definitely experience work guilt. I, I have a hard time taking time off or taking vacation. Now I do, but it's not because I think I should continue working. It's because I don't want to burden my team with the extra work from my desk. They always tell me to go because I'm sure they want uh, some time without additional work being dumped on them. (laughs) But, you know, work-life balance is a constant, constant effort. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your business? Well, I always want to satisfy our clients. You know, I want to over deliver and I want my team to be really happy. It keeps me up at night, making sure I can pay them competitively, that I can cover all their benefits because we all know there's some price sensitivity in veterinary medicine and they would all make twice as much, if not more in human healthcare marketing, but they choose animal health marketing for the same why that we all do. But, you know, they all still need to pay their bills as well. So, you know, making sure they're okay, making sure our clients are okay, I worry about them. What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Coffee. (laughs) Coffee. 
coffee, coffee. <laughs> In fact, I recently had to go for some blood work where I had to fast and I couldn't have coffee. And that's always the thing that makes me put off getting my blood work done is because I can't have coffee until it's over. Coffee. That's the first thing. My dogs, because they're bugging me to feed them. Th- those are the two practical things. And then, you know, serving my team and my and my clients. And then at the end of the day, getting to kind of decompress with my husband over dinner. I always say at the end of the day, when we all get in bed, Tim, myself, and the dogs, for me, that's the happiest place on earth is bed with my whole family. Oh, Robin, it's been so great to have you on. It's been so wonderful. This time flew by. You guys are absolutely awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This was so super fun. It was a blast. Thank you so much for coming by. Gosh, you guys, thanks, thanks, thanks. I'm going to see you both in January at Bet Partners, right? Yes, I'll be there. Well, David, I hug you virtually. Yes. Andrea, I will <laughs> hug you in person. Yes, yes absolutely. sooner rather than later. Fantastic. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.